0: China's most recent GDP numbers show that the economy grew 3.9% year on year, which beat analyst expectations, but fell well short of China's full-year target of 5.5%, which is already the lowest target that they have set in 30 years. China's real estate collapse, combined with the strict zero Covid policies, have severely reduced consumer activity in the country. In dollar terms, spending on imports is up 0.3% from a year ago, but if we take foreign exchange and rising prices into account, China's real import demand is down about 8% since the lockdowns began. China's exports, however, continue to rise, providing foreign consumers and businesses with the goods that they need. The real estate slowdown in China has been quite severe. Looking at the first nine months of this year, Property sales in China are down 22% and new construction starts are down 38%, while property investment has fallen 8%. Policymakers in China have loosened key policy rates and taken measures to ensure the completion of construction projects, many of which have been stalled due to the financial stress that property developers have been under. One of the global benefits of China's slowdown this year, or at least the timing of that slowdown, has been reduced Chinese demand for things like metals, energy, food and capital goods, which is cutting into the inflationary pressures in the rest of the world, at a time when inflation has become quite a problem. Inflation has been more subdued in large Asian economies like China and Japan over the last year than in the rest of the world. Of course, there is severe inflation in places like Sri Lanka and Pakistan, and there are inflationary pressures in other Asian economies too. Pre-pandemic, China was a huge consumer of commodities. China consumed around two-thirds of the world's iron ore and coking coal, which are necessary for steelmaking. China consumed around 43 percent of the world's copper, which is an important metal used in manufacturing and construction, things like wiring and pipes for example. Lower demand from China of course means lower prices, so iron ore has fallen to its lowest level in more than two years due to lower global steel demand, the economy reducing its demand the most being China. Copper prices have been in decline this year too, and this is despite the huge amount of copper that should be needed for the clean energy investments in solar, wind and grid upgrades that have been announced in the US and Europe. It's not just metals or construction materials either. China's slower growth has reduced the demand within the country for energy too. Electricity consumption, which had been growing at a rate of around 7% per year prior to the pandemic, is now growing at just 2%. Consumer spending in China is now more than 10% below the pre-pandemic trend. Smartphone shipment is often seen as a bellwether of China's consumer spending. Between January and August this year, There has been a 23% decline in Chinese smartphone sales year over year. So people in China are tightening their belts and spending less on all sorts of goods. Though people may not notice it, this lower demand from China has offset a lot of the strain on global energy supply since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So for the first time in decades, China's huge trade surplus is actually helping workers outside of China by helping to combat inflation. Historically, the imbalance between China's massive exports and small imports hurt the global economy as it meant that workers in other countries struggled to earn a living as they had to compete with cheap imported goods and couldn't earn a living selling goods and services to Chinese customers who were just not spending. Now that inflation is a much bigger concern than underemployment around the world, China's reduced consumption, combined with their ongoing production of goods that are needed worldwide, is helping out the global economy and reducing the pressure of inflation in most countries. Now, of course, a slowdown in Chinese imports while helping to reduce global inflation will not be great for businesses or countries that generate income exporting to China. The Australian economy, for example, is very reliant on China. Fifteen years ago, only 14% of Australian exports went to China. By 2021, 42% of Australian exports were going to China, and that was after China had introduced tariffs on a variety of Australian imports due to political tensions between the two countries. This year China is only buying 29.5% of Australian exports, which is the lowest level in 7 years. Some of this is due to the trade tensions between the two countries and some of it is due to the fall in the price of iron ore, which is Australia's biggest export, but it is mostly due to the construction slowdown in China. They are simply buying and using less of the raw materials produced in Australia. Now, the Chinese sanctions on Australia possibly even benefited Australia as it forced Australian businesses to focus on other markets before the Chinese slowdown began. On top of this, China was unable to wean itself off of Australian iron ore despite its desire to do so. The fact that China is still such a big buyer of Australian goods does mean that Australia is still vulnerable to any further slowdown. Now, Xi Jinping's goal is to make China a mid-level developed country over the next 10 years. Achieving this would require the Chinese economy to grow at a rate of around 5% per year. That would have to be real economic growth and not growth driven by malinvestment. According to Rushir Sharma at Rockefeller Capital Management, the underlying trends of bad demographics, heavy debt and declining productivity growth suggest the country's overall growth potential is around half of that rate. Sharma points out that achieving that potential of 2.5% growth over the next decade, which is well below what many people expect, could still be quite a struggle. If China did achieve that level of growth, it would be the first large middle income country to sustain 2.5% GDP growth despite a decline in the working age population, which began in China in 2015. It would be difficult for China just to throw more capital at the problem too. Total debt in China has reached 275% of GDP, and a lot of that debt funded wasteful investment in the property bubble. Sharma points out that China now has to invest $8 to generate $1 of GDP growth, which is twice the level needed a decade ago and the worst of any major global economy. The final source of potential growth is productivity. China can offset a shrinking working age population through large improvements in labour productivity. With a more productive workforce, companies can afford to pay fewer workers more money and still remain profitable. And that higher pay then translates into higher domestic consumption per worker. China's productivity growth averaged 15.5% from 1995 through to 2013, when its working age population reached its peak. Productivity growth then slowed to an average of just 5.7% in recent years. So, China's productivity growth rate is decelerating just when it needs it to speed up. Productivity isn't about how hard workers work, it is about how much output is generated per labour hour. So it is more driven by investment in capital, technological progress, better management practices and human capital development. A lot of the easy gains in worker productivity have already happened in China. China managed to industrialize at a speed never seen before. I have pointed out before on this channel that China poured more concrete in three years than the United States poured in the entire 20th century. Britain industrialized over seven generations and China in one. The future growth for China will be a lot more difficult than the growth that they've achieved in the 1990s when almost any project invested in China provided good returns. The current administration in China also seems much less focused on business and the economy than some of the leaders in the recent past. For now China's economic difficulties have an upside for the rest of the world at least in the short term China's lower demand for commodities and energy are reducing inflationary pressures in the rest of the world Thanks for tuning into the podcast if you're enjoying it make sure to recommend it to your friends there isn't really an algorithm that promotes good podcasts. They just really spread by word of mouth. So I'd appreciate you telling your friends. Equally, if there are other good podcasts that you enjoy, tell your friends about those ones too, as that's how these things grow. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.